Take your Bibles tonight, Luke chapter number 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 9. As you know, on Wednesday nights, we're going through living by principles. Principles are not doctrines, they're just methods that we live by, and uh, they're ground rules. Luke chapter number 9, to this point, we've looked at the principles of separation, principle of always putting God first, consecration, Christian fellowship, heavenly affections, principles of authority and temptation and finishing, and uh, last couple times, principles of dealing with weaker Christians. So if you are a longer standing Christian, maybe got victories that newer Christians haven't, how do you deal with those? So we looked at that, and then last time we looked at the principle of doubtful things. So if you are the new Christian, that doesn't give you a license to expect everybody just to tolerate what you do. You ought to be able to find in the scriptures how to grow and how to mature. Luke chapter number 9, and I'd like uh, if you would follow as I read verse 61 and 62. Again, Luke chapter number 9, verse 61 and 62. The Bible says, another, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're taking notes tonight, I'd like to preach on the principle of not looking back. The principle of not looking back. Let's pray. Father, I pray help us tonight. Lord, a lot of these things are very practical, and I suppose a lot of our folks already have these in place. But I just feel impressed this evening, Lord, for us to be reminded that in this Christian life, there will be times where we are tempted to look back. And Lord, here Jesus made it clear that anyone that looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Help us to learn what that means. Help us to apply it. Maybe someone here tonight, Lord, someone that's either here in the service or listening to this preaching, maybe they have rejoiced in many, many good years as a Christian. But something recently has happened, and now they're beginning to look back. I pray to help us to take this warning from the Lord. Teach us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're looking at the principle of not looking back. And, uh, you know, if you've ever done any kind of running, now I've never been a runner, I always like to watch runners, but if you've ever been a runner in a race, whether it's a 100-yard dash, or I guess they call it a 100-meter dash, or a marathon, if you have a coach in that running, they will always say this, never look back. And they'll say it that uh, even if you think you're well ahead and there's no one close, never look back. They'll say that for a number of reasons. First of all, because if a runner looks back, it breaks their concentration. You're supposed to be focused on the finish line. So first of all, a runner that looks back, it breaks their concentration. Secondly, a runner that looks back, it disrupts their physical motion. Again, I've not run, but I've told by those that do run that they get themselves into a pattern and by looking up that's enough to mess up that pattern they're told never to look back third reason that many runners are told never to look back is because looking back will slow you down 
And uh, you would say, well, it would only be milliseconds at best. That's all that separates many times somebody that ended first than somebody that ended second. So if you're a Christian, you're in a race. And uh, Paul talked, if Paul wrote Hebrews, Paul talked about that, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. And uh, he, one of the advice is don't look back. I know that I gave this illustration a month ago, but you get to hear it again. This was a race that happened back in August 7, 1954. And again, it was the Vancouver Empire Games. There were two big-name contestants. First one was from England, Roger Bannister. And he was the first one to break, running a four-minute mile. The other one, that his chief competitor, was Australia's John Landy. And John Landy also finished the mile just under four minutes, shortly after Roger Bannister did. So both of these men were two of the runners back there in August of 1954 that were running in the Vancouver Empire Games and each of them had to win their preliminary heats, and no one doubted that they could, they did. So that mean, meant that at least those two were going on to that final competition, and Landy, now that's the one that did the uh, under four minutes second, Landy decided that his strategy was going to be to set a fast pace he was convinced that if he did that, then Roger Bannister would tire before he got to the end of it. And sure enough, Landy's strategy from Australia, he set a fast pace, and, and uh, Bannister was right behind him until that final lap. And Bannister, the one in second spot, he begins to close the gap. And just before they got to the finish line, Landy from Australia was ahead. And he was so sure that his method of winning was going to win. But just as he came to that last final stretch, he lost sight of where Bannister was. And he, in contrary to all the coach's advice, he turned and looked over his left shoulder for Bannister. And when he did, Bannister passed him on the right hand. And uh, they both finished that mile in under four minutes but Bannister beat him by 0.8 of a second. So again, the Lord is giving advice here, and certainly there were some people that followed our Lord that had an interest in being one of his disciples. Look again at Luke 6 and, uh, sorry, Luke 9 and verse 61. It says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first... Uh, go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back. And so just as much as a coach would tell it to a runner, Jesus is telling it to you and I that if we want to finish this race, we can't look back. I'd like to give you a number of things that you don't want to look back on because that could just mess up your race. You can let go of Luke. Look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, Pastor, what are some of the things in this principle of not looking back that we dare not look back to? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of course, we know that Paul wrote this book. 
We know that Paul wrote this book to the believers at uh, Corinth. And look there in verse number 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So we know that one of the greatest Christians in that first century was this apostle Paul. He started more churches in that first century than anyone else, certainly anyone else that was recorded in that first century. And uh, not only did God use him in a great way for church planting, but uh, he wrote half the New Testament. This was a success as far as God was concerned. And yet he admits here in verse number 9, he says, I am not meet. It, it doesn't even seem right that I would be called an apostle. Paul, with all of your success, why would you say that? Well, it says at the very end of the verse, because I persecuted the church of God. You know, before Saul got saved, his name, sorry, before Paul got saved, his name was Saul. And before Saul got saved, he hated Jesus Christ. And he hated anybody that was a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, keep your hand there in 1 Corinthians 15. Look there in Acts chapter number 8. Just to remind you of some of the wicked things that Paul did, Saul did before he got saved. Look there in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1. Now he's not saved yet. Saul doesn't get saved till Acts 9. So here, Acts 8 and verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen's death. Stephen died in chapter 7. He was stoned. It says in 8 verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution which was at the church at Jerusalem. Saul had his hand in that. While you're still in Acts, look there in Acts 8 and verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing, uh, committed them to prison. That's the kind of life Saul lived. And then look there at Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Again, he's not saved yet. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, I don't have a map of Canaan. If you can imagine, you have the Dead Sea, and then you have the Jordan River, and then you have the Sea of Galilee, just equal with the top of the Dead Sea. If you go about a third of the way over to the Mediterranean is Jerusalem. He got permission from the priests at Jerusalem to go as far as Damascus. Pastor, where's Damascus? If you go all the way to the Sea of Galilee, and then you go that equal distant even further, that's how much he hated Christians. Is there any wonder back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, where he said, I am not made to be called an apostle, and you know what? If he dwelt on that, he would have never become an apostle. He would have never been as fruitful and successful in his life's ministry. Look at the very next word, 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. But 
He didn't let his past slow him down. If you're taking notes, first thing is don't look back at failures that have been forgiven. Don't look back at failures that have been forgiven. Preacher, you don't know my past. Well, the truth is you don't know my past. And Paul said to those, if you knew my past, boy, you wouldn't let me stand behind a pulpit. You wouldn't let me preach to your people. You wouldn't invite me to start a church in your town because of all the things that I have done, wicked things, horrible things. But again, verse number 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said, God forgave that. God had grace to put that under the blood. And he said, I have not wasted that grace. In fact, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. For by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his, and sorry, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I laid more, labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but by the grace of God, which was with me. Paul said, I refuse to let those failures of the past that God has forgiven, I refuse to let that slow me down. In fact, I can't look back. And maybe that should be an encouragement. You know, all of us have a past. And no matter what your past is, those things, when they're put under the blood, God forgives it. You know, I think of the man in the Old Testament named David. If anyone had a past that should have prevented him from God using him, it would have been David. David not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, David brought in her husband Uriah, tried to get him drunk. And when Uriah wouldn't work with a plan, he set about to have Uriah killed on the forefront of the battle. You know that David certainly had a past that could have prevented God from using him. But God forgives. You can let go of 1 Corinthians. Look there in Psalm 103. Pastor, could God use someone the like of David and the like of Paul? Well, look there at Psalm 103. It was written by David. Psalm 103. And really, it's a chapter that David wrote to rejoice in the forgiveness of God. Look there in Psalm 103, verse 1. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. That's that grace. Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And then a great verse, verse 12, for as, sorry, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And you've probably heard it. I've heard it since I was in Sunday school. But if you were on the earth and looked at a globe and you decided that you would go one direction, we'll call that east. You decide you'd keep going east. And then with your other hand, you went west. You know, there's no end. There is an end north. At some point, it becomes going south. 
but there's no end to east and there's no end to west. You can keep going east or keep going west. And God says, when I forgive, that's how far away I've put your sins. Pastor, I feel so discouraged about my life because of some of my past. Don't look back. Do you know that God used Moses and he was a murderer? God used Rahab and she was a harlot. Again, God used David. He was an adulterer and a murderer. God used Peter. He denied the Lord three times. God used Paul. He persecuted Christians. And I'd say to you that uh, don't look back in your marriage. Don't look back. Many a marriage is destroyed by either a husband or a wife that always resurrects things from the past. Read about this one couple. They were an older couple, been married many years. They went to their pastor for counseling. And when asked what the problem was, she explained that her husband had been, notice, had been a really, really bad husband with a terrible temper. For the first year of five years of their marriage, he did some awful things. And thankfully, he came to Christ, and there was a remarkable change in his life. But sometimes, when his wife and he got into a spat, she would look back and resurrect some of those things that he thought were forgiven. And she'd say, and when she would raise those things, he would get furious with her. And then she'd say, you see, I knew you hadn't changed. <laughs> There's no win. And the pastor, after listening to both sides, the pastor looked at her and said, well, you have one of two choices. You can continuously look back at his faults and his failures, and this will end in a divorce. Or you can leave under the blood what Jesus has put under the blood and quit looking back. And so she decided to do the wiser thing, and God mended that marriage back together again. Do you know when God saves us, not only does he forgive all of our sins, but he delivers us from the judgment. Now, that doesn't mean what you sow you aren't going to reap on this earth. If you have smoked, your lungs won't all of a sudden get better because you've asked for forgiveness. If you've drank, your liver won't all of a sudden get better. If you've been promiscuous, you may have a disease the rest of your life. I'm saying the first thing, don't look back at the failures that have been forgiven. I give you a second thing. Look there in Acts chapter 13. So you let go of all the other ones, Acts chapter 13. Pastor, what else would we be wise not to look back at? Acts chapter number 13, if you're familiar with this chapter, this is the first missionary journey. This is the first time that a church sent out a team of missionaries to go into towns and preach the gospel and establish churches. We are told who this team began with. Look there in Acts 13, 2. As they ministered, that's these people in the Antioch church, to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein to have called them. And when they, that's the church, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so we know that in this team was Barnabas, in this team was Saul. But look, if you would, there was one more in this team, verse number 5. 
And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And so it was a team of not only Barnabas and Saul, but it was a team of John Mark. And, and that was a team to be reckoned with because they got her done. As you begin there in verse number 6, what happens, or maybe verse 4 or 5, uh, they, they took a ship and they went part way across that Mediterranean, I'll go this way, and they came to the island of Cyprus. And first of all, they preached in Salamis, and, and folks got saved, and who knows if a church was started. They worked their way across the island of Cyprus until they came to Paphos. So they had preached all the way across that island. Once they got to Paphos, they got on another ship, and they took a voyage back to the mainland. When they got back to the mainland, look what happened there, Acts 13 and verse 13. It says, now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. John quit. <laughs> that couldn't have been easy. I mean, whereas three used to carry the ministry, now two had to carry what three used to do. If you have been a Christian for any length of time and been in a church and had ministry, you know that not everybody that has stood by your side to help you get the work of done, God done is still there. And some of the closest friends that you and I have have along that way quit. And if we're not careful, we're going to look back and the fact that they used to be faithful, they used to be here, they used to help, and we're going to look back and use their quitting as a reason why it's okay for us to quit. Would you write this down? The second thing we're not to look back. Don't look back at the forsaking of friends around you. Don't look back at the forsaking of friends around you. And there's going to come times where the closest friends that you have are just going to pack their suitcase and they're going to be gone. And if you're not careful, the loss of that person is going to cause you to look back and contemplate, if they quit, maybe I should quit. You know what the greatest verse in Acts chapter 13 is? It's the next verse. Look at verse 14. Acts 13 and verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch. You know what verse 14 says? Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul just kept going. Just kept going. In fact, from Acts chapter 14 all the way to the end of Acts 15, sorry, Acts 13 and 14, they finished that first journey. Paul went on a second journey. Paul went on a third journey. Do you know from the point of this quitting, Paul continued in the ministry at least 22 more years. If you've been in this church for any length of time, and it's not just true for this church, it's for others. There are people that used to sit where you sit, and they're not here. You can't look back. You can rejoice at how they helped while they were here, but you can't look back. I say, secondly, don't look back at the forsaking of friends around you. And you know, there's, again, many who we've watched 
some even close, close friends that just packed up and walked away from God. Could be a family member, could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a parent, could be a child. And the devil will whisper when they do, why don't you give up to? Don't look back. It, it might be an older saint. It might be someone that taught you. It might be someone that trained you and encouraged you. But if you give up, it'll only start a chain reaction. And just as much as you had a lot of confidence in them, but they broke your confidence, there are people that are watching you. You can't give up. You know, I read of a, an account of an elderly Englishman, I guess in England, who got saved early in his life. And he married a godly woman, and, and they had happy, happy early years of their marriage. But one day, this man, on a dark night, he stepped out and repeated the same sin of David and Bathsheba. One night, felt so guilty about it after he did it that he admitted it to his wife. He admitted it before his whole church. He confessed it. He trusted that they would help to restore him. But instead of restoring him, they cast him out of the church and they actually told his wife to separate from him. And they were separated for the next 40 years. You know, he felt betrayed by his church. Jesus knew what it felt like to be betrayed by family. David said this, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I've said tonight, principle, not looking back, don't look back at the failures that have been forgiven. Now, there will always be a Pharisee that thinks it's God's call in their life to remind Christians of their past. It's under the blood. Secondly, don't look back at the forsaking of friends around you. Third one, Ezra. Now, this is a little bit harder to find. Ezra. You find the book of Psalms. Before Psalms is Job. Before Job is Esther. Before Esther is Nehemiah. Before Nehemiah is Ezra. Pastor, I've lost it. There's an index in the front of the Bible. Don't be embarrassed to use it. Because this is the third thing that we dare not look back on. Ezra chapter 3, and look there in verse number 11. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 11, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks in the Lord, because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What's happening, Pastor? If you remember that God told the nation of Israel from the time of Abraham, if you as a nation will obey me, I'll bless you. I'll protect you. I'll keep your enemies away. But he said to Israel, if you turn your back on me, I'll let enemies come in and take you captive. Time passed, 722 B.C., the ten northern tribes called Israel, because they had turned their back on God. God let enemy Assyria come in and take them away. 722 B.C. Well, you'd have thought the South would learn from that, but they didn't. And so 606 B.C., God allowed another nation of the North, Babylon, to come and take away the South in 606 B.C. And we know that that's when Daniel was taken and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And 
606 BC, they were taken away because they had disobeyed God. God had told them through the prophet Jeremiah that the land would sit idle for 70 years. So from 606 BC until 536 BC, Canaan was there, just a sampling of Jews left. But all of a sudden in 536 BC, Cyrus sends out a decree to all the Jews if you would like to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, you've got my blessing. It was an unheard of thing for an enemy king to let captives return to their land. Unheard of. God made him do that. So when we look there at 536 BC, there are a number of Jews that are returning back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And uh, when they return back there to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple under the man named Zerubbabel, what we find here again in Ezra chapter 3, look there in verse number 11. It says, And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What, what happened was when they returned back to Jerusalem and the very first stage of that rebuilding was laying a foundation. And when they laid that foundation, there were Jews that stood back and they just shouted for joy because it began. But look at the next verse. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12 but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, these are older men, that had seen the first house when the foundations of this house were laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. What a commotion. Some of the people are shouting about the excitement that the foundation is laid, but there are some other people that can't forget what the previous temple looked like. They can't get out of their minds what Solomon's great temple looked like. And while some are shouting, others are pouting. In fact, it was just such a commotion. Look at the next verse, verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy from the noise of the weeping of people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard far off. You know what was happening? You know what those older people were doing? They were all over 63. Do you know what the older people were doing? They were looking back. They were looking back at what they used to have. And folks, there's nothing that will take the joy out of your sails like looking back at what there used to be. If you paid attention to Brother Castellaw, but the Castellaw talked about the great days of the 80s and the 90s. We know that that's true. But you know what? If you live there, if that's all you think about, if that's all that you talk about, you'll never find anything today to rejoice in. So if you're taking notes, the third thing is don't look back at the festive days now forgotten. Don't look back at the festive days now forgotten. You say, preacher, I remember when, well, that's good. That means you have a good memory. 
But you can't keep looking back. I, I could tell you story after story about when I went to Bible college, North Carolina, 1983-83. Just some great stories. It's not like that anymore. I could talk about having graduated from Bible college and returning to Niagara Falls, and I could talk about the great meetings that Pastor Green had in Lansing and Pastor Jack Wood in Houston. I could talk about all that stuff. But folks, all that's going to do is get you to long for that again. And that in itself isn't wrong. But in longing for that again, you won't put your heart into what God has given you now. Say, preacher, I remember when Golden Plains stopped right there. I'm glad that you remember. But if you're constantly looking back, has prevented you from trying to do something for God now. That's not going to help you. It's not going to help me. It's not going to help the church. And uh, there are some Christians that are what I call historical. All they talk about is what it used to be. Say, Pastor, I can remember, and I remember in the 70s when you, we would knock on doors and the reception of people when you knock on a door and give them a gospel track and invite them to your church. I remember back in the 70s, there were churches that required all their staff to go out on Saturday soul winning. And if they didn't have at least one convert every Saturday, their job was at risk. If they didn't bring some new person to church, if not weekly, at least bi-weekly, well, they might have to look for different employment. Say, Pastor, really? That's how it used to be. Don't look back. I'm not saying don't read history books. I'm not saying don't, don't listen to good testimonies. But don't look back. I say third, don't look back at the festive days. Now forgotten. Solomon wrote this. and it was last, he, Solomon wrote three books. First book he wrote was Song of Solomon. The second book he wrote was Proverbs. The third book he wrote was Ecclesiastes. By the time Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon himself had become very carnal. But even in his carnal years, listen to what he said, Ecclesiastes 7.10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? He said, don't say, how come it was so much better then than now? The answer is, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Don't look back. Don't look back, preacher. Why is it so terrible to look back? Because our tendency is to only remember the good. Do you know what the good old days, how many times have we said that the good old days? Isn't it strange that our memories forget some of the bad old details in the good old days? Remember our family, and I'm almost done. I remember our family, we went to Riding Mountain National Park, and, and if you've been there, we tented, we camped, and, and in that community building, they, they showed little films. We had our three children with us. We said, what kind of films you got? And one of them, one of them was about the, the water cycle. And I always thought that was such a great film. So I said to the person running the film, I said, could, could we look at the water cycle? Well, sure, we got that one. Took my family in there and we looked at it. I thought, 
whoa, I don't remember hearing any of that. Whoa, whoa that, that's evolution to a core. Whoa, hold on a minute. Whoa. Folks, the reason you don't want to look back is you've probably forgotten that some of the good old days are bad old days. Isn't it true that Israel said, would to God we stayed in Egypt for the leeks and the onions and the garlics? Well, hold on a minute. You were captives in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. Remember that time you were told to make bricks without straw? Those weren't good old days. I say to you, you don't want to look back because likely you've forgotten the bad part of it. And again, if you constantly look back at the good old days, you'll forget how good God has been. I say, preacher, don't you wish you lived two, three, four hundred years ago? <laughs> no. I, I remember something Dave Muckle said one time when he prayed. I prayed with him on a Wednesday night. He said, Lord, it sure is a good thing that we don't live in castles like they did three, four hundred years ago. Because all those castles, they weren't airtight. And the winds would whistle through and the rain would come in. They didn't have wall-to-wall -wall carpet. They didn't have heating in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. Folks, God has been so good to us. Don't look back. Even at the good things that don't park back there. I give you the last thing I'm done with this. There, if you would, in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter number 50, first book of the Bible. Again, we're looking at this principle of not looking back. Don't look back at the failures that have been forgiven. Let them go. Secondly, don't look back at forsaking of friends around you. Third, don't look back at the festive days now forgotten. Fourth thing is Genesis chapter 50. And verse number 20, this is Joseph. Now he's established as leader in Egypt. He's brought his father and his brothers to Egypt. Well, you remember what they, those very brothers did to Joseph? They sold him. They sold him as a slave to a caravan going to Egypt. How much time Joseph could have spent looking back at what they did to him? Genesis 50 and verse 20 we read there, but as for ye, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Could I say the fourth thing, and finally, don't look back and see your faith for God all fizzled out. Don't look back and see your faith for God all fizzled out. Joseph here in chapter 50, he could have because his dad just died. Jacob just died. They just buried Jacob. He could have meted out retribution on those brothers. But look again at verse 20. Look at a word that's, that's emphasized. But as for ye, you thought evil against me, but God. Do you know whatever difficulties has come your way, God knew it. God allowed it. In fact, God had a plan by it. I was looking in this book of Genesis, and how many times, and I was looking particularly at the life of Joseph, I think from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. And how many times Joseph, whether he was a slave, whether he was lied about by Potiphar's wife, he keeps talking about God keeps talking, folks, he never lost his faith in God. 
And no matter what your circumstances have been, no matter how people have treated you unfairly, you don't want to look back in your life and have to admit you lost your faith in God. You want a strong faith. You know, all of us can look back at things in our past and wonder how we ever got past it. The only way we got past is God. That's why the Bible says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And I wonder if there's someone, I'm done, I'm done. I can't speak more than two minutes with notes, without notes. I wonder if there's someone here, you're spending too much time looking back. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looketh back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let the past stay in the past so that today you can please him and tomorrow you can still please him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the text. Thank you, Lord, for the principle of not looking back. Lord, uh, many of us right now in our lives are dealing with some difficult details, no doubt. Lord, it would be so easy to be angry at people and be even more angry at God. God, why did you let this happen? But Lord, all that's going to do is rob us of our faith in God. Help us not look back, but look up. And because our eyes are fixed on you above, that we can look forward to some even more fruitful times. We ask it in Jesus' name.